This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. Libby is off this week, enjoying a quiet holiday. She will return on Monday. Our strategy panelists are here, as they usually are on Tuesdays. John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of the Toronto Office of Ernst Cliff Strategy Group. And Karen Stint, CEO of Variety Village. Hello, all. Hi, Jane. Hey, Jane. Hey, did everybody have a nice, quiet Christmas? <laughs> it was quiet. Well, considering, yeah, quiet. <laughs> Wonderfully quiet. <laughs> well, good, good. Just as we've all been told to do, and it sounds like in this group we've all adhered to those guidelines. Um, there are some who have not. We will talk about Randy Hillier in just a moment. But first, I want to start out with retired General Rick Hillier and the decision by the Ford PCs and ultimately General Hillier to allow the COVID-19 vaccination clinics to close on Christmas Day, December 26th, and then in reduced numbers on the 27th and 28th. This kind of turned into a public relations misstep for the governing Tories because, as many critics said, COVID does not take a holiday. Karen, uh, what about this? Well, I, I think it is definitely... Uh, caught people by surprise because the expectation was that we were going to, you know, ramp up. We had um, a, a plan, a rollout plan in place. And the other challenging aspect of it was there was some mixed messaging. Uh, one was that there was staffing shortage. Uh, then there's doses being held back. Then it's not a matter of staffing, but pharmacists that had to mix the doses. And for everybody, you know, including myself, who have facilities that are closed, it's certainly frustrating because you know, there's a lot of people that, that are on hold, literally. Their lives are on hold. Their, um, their, their jobs are on hold waiting for this vaccine to roll mm-hmm. out. So everyone's sympathetic to overwork staff, but, you know, you, you kind of want to get to the bottom of it and fix what you can because we just don't have time. Charles, what are your thoughts on uh, the shutdown for a couple of days? Well, whether it's, you know, workers in long care term care facilities or whether it's pharmacists that are mixing the vaccines, as Karen notes, I mean, and all of our frontline workers, these are the real heroes of 2020. And, you know, I certainly understand the rationale uh, that said these people need something of a break, right? We should at least give them 48 hours to to recuperate and, and come back hopefully stronger. Um Doug Ford can be very glad that he has General Rick Hillier in place because, um, you know, notwithstanding what appears to have been a bit of a public relations disaster in terms of taking the break, Hillier has accepted full responsibility, demonstrated ample leadership, um, and has really taken the bullet for the Ford government. Um, You know, at a time when um, the vaccination rollout is proving challenging in Ontario. I mean, we're, we're last in the country right now in terms of uh, per capita injections, and that may have a lot to do with, with the size of the province and, and just how difficult logistically it is to, to move out the product in, in a reasonable way. So hopefully in the coming days, according to General Hillier, we'll be up to 100,000 vaccinations daily 
um, by the early spring. And um, so I, for, I'm not terribly upset at what's happened, and, and I see it as a tempest in a teapot. Right. But what about you, uh, John? I mean, I guess part of the problem here is that people didn't realize that the vaccination clinics were shut down until after they were shut down. Yeah, I think I think the intent obviously was was, you know, heartfelt in a sense that they wanted to give the, the you know, first responders and, and sort of healthcare workers and, and health care professionals a bit of a break with respect to just given the fact that they've been as, as Charles alluded to quite correctly, you know, they're, they've been the heroes of, of 2020 and, and have been flat out since March, quite frankly. And I thought there was a sense that over the Christmas holidays to give them uh, a breather so they can start fresh and, and with some vigor, you know, back in, uh, you know, when the holidays were over. So I, I, there was no question that the intent was there. Obviously, the practice and the messaging might not have been there. And I think that resulted in, in what you know, we saw with Rick Hillier sort of basically saying, look, we got slapped. We, we understand uh, we're back up now in full speed and, 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 and moving ahead. So there's, there's, I think there is, there is that, that mixed message, but, but I think the intent was sort of to give the health workers, it wasn't anything malicious in, in a sense that, uh, you know, they wanted to do something or, or wanted to break because of, of whatever reason, other than to give health workers a, a bit of a, a bit of a, bre- a breather. But, you know, the other issue too, I think is, is that, you know, the vaccines that Canada got and, and, and that, you know, the prime minister was, was, was able to negotiate it. And thankfully, we were able to get some, uh, you know, before the end of 2020. But it wasn't a lot of dosage. You know, and it wasn't a lot of vaccines that come, came to Canada. So when you dispersed them amongst the provinces, um, they were very limited in what they were able to get. And that's why you're getting the question now with respect to the Pfizer vaccine, especially because there was the first one out and, and the first one that was received here in Ontario. And I, I would imagine across Canada uh, because it needs two doses. There's that discussion with respect to, well, let's give everybody as much as we can uh, of the first dose and then hold off on the second dose based on us getting more uh, vaccines, uh, supplements in, in, in phase two, which apparently is supposed to be at sometime in March, uh, and or Moderna, uh, as we're starting to see that shift out as well. So a lot of that is, is also the fact that we just didn't get enough vaccines from, from the beginning. But, but I think that now that we've got them and we're getting them, you'll see the, the, the province certainly disseminate them as much as possible. Yeah, as that's, as possible. I think that's, that's an issue here as well, because we know that 90,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine, uh, were received in this province. We're waiting on 53,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine. But to date, uh, General Hillier said this past hour, 14,100 vaccine doses have been administered. So in terms of providing confidence to the Ontario people, Karen, uh, that doesn't seem like very many of the original 90,000 doses to date. So it it almost makes you wonder how quickly can they really do this? Well, it is. And and I think that's that's the issue at stake here is that if you know, nobody would, I, I think people would understand if healthcare workers took a couple of days off if we were at the same vaccina- vaccination rate as every other province. But if we're short staffed over Christmas and Boxing Day, we're just short staffed. And so it's not an issue of taking two days off. It's an issue of are we adequately ramping up to be able to vaccinate the province when we have um, an infection rate that is continuing to grow and we have um, everybody is again waiting to be vaccinated so that they can either reopen their business, get their kids back to school um, for frontline workers so that they don't have to live in fear of catching COVID for long-term care facilities that are have been battling this since March. There's that sense of urgency that seems to be missing. And in spite of all the goodwill gestures, there is a remaining question, is this rollout plan going to effectively vaccinate Ontarians? 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's the question that, yeah, everyone's taking responsibility. That's great. Can we actually get this done? And, well, and that's the question that needs to get answered. And I want to put that question exactly like that to our Zoomer radio listeners. Do you feel confident that as part of the wider public, you will be able to get your vaccine by the end of July, which is which is the goal set by the provincial PCs? Do you believe that you will be able to be vaccinated in a timely manner? Phone lines are always open. 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-744-740. Jane for Libby, along with Karen Stintz, John Capobianco, Charles Bird. Uh, many would say, Charles, that Ontario is behind, and we will be speaking to the logistics of the COVID-19 vaccine rollout next half hour, but that's that's got to be a concern for people in this province. And in terms of strategy, what should be done uh, from from Premier Ford and those around him? Well, we're in the first five minutes of the first period, and what really matters is where where we are as we get later into the game, and ultimately what the final result is. I mean, it is this is the most difficult part of the rollout, just given that we're we're at it really for the first time. And you know, there are countries that have had a lot of success so far in terms of getting the country, getting the vaccine out, Israel. Bahrain. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are countries that would fit into Etobicoke in terms of their geographic size. So it's only natural that larger countries like Canada, like the United States, like Russia, are going to have a lot more logistical challenges going forward. But I'm I'm actually very optimistic that the people who need the vaccine will get it in short order, and that we will really in the spring move into massive vaccinations for the entire province. And I think the July timeline is completely feasible. And, you know, once we get good at this and once we have pharmacies online, I think it's going to it's going to work out very, very well. So I'm pleased with the work the federal government has done. I realize there are some challenges at the provincial level, um, but it's early days. So let's just let folks have a little bit of time to work out the kinks. And I'm quite convinced that we have every reason to be optimistic. John, how about you? Are you feeling optimistic about uh, the plan so far? I am. I'm, I'm very happy with with respect, and I've and I've given credit to the to the prime minister for getting the vaccines uh, as 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 early as he did. Given the fact that there were some some early confusions with respect to us not being able to get it until 2021, so the fact that we've seen over the last you know few weeks um, vac- vaccines being uh, dispensed, I think, is, is really good news. Uh, I am heartened that that you know there is a phased approach to this, and that they're expecting some 15 million doses by March. Uh, and and beyond. So I do think that that you know, as, as Charles said quite correctly, that you know this is early on. I think the fact that we're getting the plans going, the fact that the, the, this task force that's being led by Rick Hillier is seeing that there are some bumps, and that you know once they once they see the bumps that, that, that they deal with them, and more importantly that they don't repeat them uh, going forward. And I don't think they're going to uh, now that they've seen how how things are. Are, are you know are going to be moving out, and I think more importantly too, Jane, is that we're getting other vaccines. So it's not just the mm-hmm. Pfizer, which of course is the one that is the hardest to store and and, and to ship. Uh, Moderna's now coming in, and then we've got Johnson and Johnson and others that are are on the heels of of getting approval as well. So I think that you know multiple vaccines coming to uh, uh, to us in, in 2021 is is going to be good news, and and I suspect that you know more and more uh, Ontarians are going to get vaccinated over the course of the next few months. 
Let's go to Marilyn and Lindsay. She wants to get in on the conversation. Marilyn, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. I was just wondering if, um, like you're saying that it was heartfelt that uh, the government wanted to give people day time off. I'm a retired nurse. We always got time and a half for Christmas Day and Boxing Day. I suspect they're trying that they want to save money. Um, do not think that would be in in the mix in their thinking. Okay, let's go to our panelists on that, uh, Karen, in terms yeah. of what uh, retired General Hillier said, that it was his fault and it was a mistake. Was that just uh, a PR stunt? Um, you know, I, I think that there are some issues. There's no question. I Because, I mean, if the staffing were available, um, I, I don't believe it came down to um, an issue of, of not wanting to pay time and a half. Uh, so I think that there are logistical issues that do need to be um, addressed. And, and I'd like to think that it's not a matter of not wanting to pay people. Um, and if that's what it is, then I, I think that that needs to be put to the side. And we, because that's not, um, you know, moving forward with this, we do need a sense of urgency. And I think Ontarians would be willing to pay what it takes to get this vaccine rolled out in a way that it's timely. Charles, the mixed messaging and our callers concerned that perhaps this was about finances and not about staffing. I'd be shocked if it was about, you know, saving money. And I know the government's been accused of holding back on upwards of $12 billion in terms of uh, COVID funding, a lot of it earmarked for spending in 2021. But I would be absolutely shocked if this was an effort to, to save a few bucks over a couple of days. I think this was really a recognition that frontline workers are exhausted. And, you know, folks like myself who aren't frontline workers and folks like a lot of your listeners are exhausted. I mean, mm-hmm. this, this whole pandemic has been a real struggle for a lot of people. And I can, I have nothing but admiration and sympathy for all of those frontline workers who've done so much to, to get us through this and to, and frankly, to sustain us and to keep society functioning. And so I, I really think it was just about trying to give these people some time off. And I think, Others need to be need to be careful about the kinds of uh, rhetoric they're throwing out. I noticed the president of the Ontario Medical Association was saying, you know, why should these people be getting a quote unquote holiday? And I, I think that's just short sighted and, and really unfair. John, would you like to respond to the caller? Yeah, no, I think I think that uh, there's no possible way that it was re- anything reflective of the, of the funds. Uh, this this province uh, and this government has been spending a lot of money and continues to spend a lot of money to try to to beat this COVID. Not only with respect to the long term care facilities, but but nursing and and other other areas and, and and vaccine rollouts and everything that they're trying to do is. And, and they've always said, and the premier's always made it clear that that money is of no cost at the moment to try to beat this this pandemic. So I can't imagine it was money. I think it was purely just as we been talking about Jane. I think it was just the fact that they wanted to give some healthcare uh, frontline workers a bit of a break um, uh, because there was some exhaustion. I think it was nothing more than that. I think it was recognized that that it might have been a mistake to do that, and and they fixed it, and they're and they're back ramping up. But I don't think it had anything to do with the funds or money to, to, to the frontline workers. Might based on overtime. 
Let's uh, talk about strategy going forward. Uh, strategy by Premier Doug Ford. New poll out this morning by Leger, uh, which reveals just over half of respondents in Ontario approve of the job that Premier Doug Ford is doing. So he falls in the middle of the pack, uh, as does Francois Legault of Quebec. The Prairie Premiers scored below 50% satisfaction. Premiers in the Atlantic provinces, which have seen relatively few cases, uh, fared the best. Uh, in, in your opinions, uh, where does Premier Ford go from here? Does he does he push a General Hillier out to the forefront a little bit more and take a step back? Or do we still need to hear from the Premier? He's not doing his daily updates anymore, but he's doing updates as necessary. Karen, where does uh, the Premier go from here? Yeah, I think it's a good strategy to, to let other people take over now. And, um, you know, Doug Ford has been um, the voice and, and the one delivering the messages, even when they are messages that we may not want to hear around lockdowns and um, sustained lockdowns. And so I, I think that, um, you know, there is, you know, the good news and the bad news, he wears them both. And so I think that there will be a time that he can, again, be the messenger. But right now, I think it does make sense for um, General Hilly to be the messenger on the, on the vaccine rollout, uh, particularly in light of the hiccups that have just been experienced. I think it was better for General Hillier to take the bullet than Doug Ford. So I think it was probably wise for him strategically to, to let that happen. And, um, you know, I think that certainly once the wrinkles get ironed out with the vaccine distribution and the rollout, his, um, I'm sure he's going to go back up in the polls. But, you know, there is a, there is just this, this, um, sense that we're not managing this as well as we maybe could be. And, uh, whether it's because of the, 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 you know, the right industries are not locked down at four, uh, you know, the airport is still letting international flights in. Now we've got a hiccup with the vaccine rollout. So there's just this general sense that we just need to get control here. And uh, once there seems to be that element of control back, then I think that we'll see his popularity increase again. Uh, yeah, and I'll put that out to you as well, um, our listeners. How do you think that the Premier has handled the COVID crisis so far? And where should he go um, with his messaging and his statements and his priorities going forward? 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Charles, to you. You know, the, the premiers who are doing poorly in the polling are the, the prairie premiers, which is Jason Kenney of Alberta, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, and Brian Pallister in Manitoba. And the underlying rationale seems to be that in all three cases, they just didn't take the pandemic seriously enough. They were more openly concerned about the economy than they were about protecting their citizens. And they're paying a terrible price for that. And, you know, what, what's really odd is, is Quebec is ground zero for COVID in this country. I mean, it has a higher per capita infection rate than even Alberta. And, you know, Quebec has taken a number of the necessary steps to, to try to curtail the virus. And Legault is the most popular premier in the, in the country, according to the polling, which is, which is quite astonishing given just how how badly the virus has, has swept through Quebec. In Ontario, I think for the most part, you know, I've not always been his biggest fan, but I think for the most part, Premier Ford has struck a balance between, you know, recognizing that people are being hurt economically, but also recognizing that we have to take the coronavirus with the utmost seriousness. I think the fact that we're in a month-long lockdown in terms of southern Ontario, which started just a couple of days ago, Mm -hmm. um, is very telling of how seriously the province takes this virus. 
But at the same time, it really is a numbers game. It really is a question of can we get people vaccinated on a timely basis or are there going to be further hiccups? Are there going to be um, difficulties in distribution? Is there going to be difficulties in terms of getting uh, drugstores online in terms of getting people vaccinated? And that's what he will live and die by. The other significant piece is just how the, the economy performs, because it's clear that the global economy has taken a terrific hit to the tunes of trillions of dollars. And, you know, that that will create some very real consequences in the coming months. And it is entirely possible that we could see uh, a significant global recession as a result of having undergone the pandemic and, and the slow climb out of it. Hopefully the economy will rebound and will, you know, and once the thing is actually behind us, it'll go like gangbusters. But there is also the reality that governments have spent a tremendous amount of money. And uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how the Conservatives play it. If they want to go, you know, all austerity and, okay, now we're going to be cutting programs left, right and center. I think they're going to have some real problems on their hands. John, before I go to you, let's uh, go to Susan in East York. Uh, What do you have to say about the Premier and how he's handled uh, the crisis? Go ahead, Susan. Oh, I'm calling because I understood one time I was watching, listening to your show, and the liberal critic was on about the money he that Ford took. And I could be wrong. Ford took money out of home, out of um, long term, and put it towards the deficit. Or he redid. You know, this is when he was first elected, and then when this all came down, there was no money in in long term because he had taken some money that uh, the liberals had put aside. John, there is, I mean, certainly the long-term care crisis uh, has ramped up again in the second wave. And there is a perception that Premier Ford and his long-term care minister, Marilee Fullerton, have not done enough to protect people in the second wave. Um, Maybe we could pivot and go in that direction here. Sure. And and I think that, you know, we've talked about this before where, you know, we've, we've, you know, long-term care has been a systemic problem uh, that has that has you know been involved with, with many governments previous to this one have had have had issues with and and at, at fault with. Um, but you know, I think the premier has acknowledged that that under his watch, he wants to fix it, and he's trying to do everything he can to fix it, and is spending as much money as he possibly can to fix it. And we're starting to see that that he is you know, making sure that there's more um, long-term care facilities and making sure there's more staffing uh, and more funding towards staffing and, and all that. So, you know, you're not going to fix it overnight, but I think the one thing that this pandemic has done has uh, shown a, a, an unbelievably bright light to uh, to the problems and ailments that have that have been, been plaguing uh, long-term care facilities over the course of the last number of, of years, if not decades. And I think it's something that, that this government and future governments are going to now take seriously uh, with respect to dealing with long long-term care and, and, and the facilities regarding that. But just uh, and to your question regarding the premiers and, and the premier of Ontario, um, I just wanted to say that, you know, political leaders, you know, in normal times um, always face the challenge of overexposure. How much, how much do they get in front of the people? How much do they get in front of TVs and, and, and talk about issues? But certainly when there's times of crisis, um, Canadians, voters, want to see their leaders out there, want to make sure that they have a command of the situation, whatever the crisis is. And, and, and in particular, our, our, our crisis of the pandemic, you know, we did see the prime minister out every day and, and Canadians were glued to the TV because they wanted to hear and, and, and get reassured by, by the prime minister and by political leaders across the province 
uh, provinces that that they had a command of, of what was happening. So I think that was good. And then there gets to a certain time where, you know, you don't want to sort of repeat the same thing you were repeating the day before, because then voters, you know, be it be it Canadians watching, you know, the national leader or provinces will get tuned out and say, okay, well, he's just saying the same thing. So at that point, you want to get professionals out there. And, and you know, we're starting to see that more healthcare um, authorities are getting out there speaking about various issues. And now with Rick Hillier, you know, in le- leading of the vaccine uh, uh, distribution task force, getting out there more and more. I think that's the, sort of the healthy balance is the professionals, but also the political leaders when they need to be able to say something to, uh, to, uh, to the voters. Joining our uh, strategy panel of John Capobianco, Karen Stintz, and Charles Byrd is Michael in Mississauga. Michael, what would you like to add? Oh, I think that, uh, first of all, thank God the Premier stopped with his daily clown show. I, I kept expecting clown music to play, do 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 because he had nothing good to say. Every day, he would just say the same thing. And then when there's stupid announcements, I'm going to shut down uh, one of the largest highways in Ontario and cause how much extra economic uh, uh, disruption uh, by um, testing extra people from the airport because he says the federal government can't do it. And then General Hillier saying, oh, give me a mea culpa. I made a mistake. You mean they didn't know for how long that this virus, uh, the had to be uh, had to be stored. The uh, vaccine had to be stored at a, a low temperature. And I've heard people say that uh, news people, the Ebola vaccine had to be stored at a low temperature. Give them a makoa, give them a pink slip, and put someone else in charge who knows what they're doing. You can't fire the premier until an election, but you right. can fire General Helio right now. And, uh, oh, well, this is, uh, I'm going to let you go, Michael, an unhappy voter there. Do you think that Michael Karen is representative of how people are feeling about uh, the premier and his messaging and now uh, Hillier? No, no I, I think that um, people want to believe that there's a plan. People uh, will still, they still have confidence in the government. Um, you know, things like the having the, the vaccination clinics closed, I think, um, are cause people to question. But, you know, by and large, we all want to have, we all want to see an end to this. And we all want to do our part to see the end of it. And, um, you know, we still want to believe that it's going to, that everything is going to be rolled out when they say it's going to be rolled out. But, you know, keeping that confidence of the public means delivering on the expectations. And I, and I think that's where really the next month is going to be critical for this government. And that I know that, you know, the major vaccines are, will be getting them in March, but, you know, I think people need to see a sustained, improved, increased vaccination rollout plan uh, in order to rebuild some of that confidence. I want to get uh, all three of your takes on the Randy Hillier situation uh, before we say so long. Uh, independent MPP Randy Hillier posted a picture. It looked like an extended family Christmas gathering. Fifteen people, including uh, the independent MPP, sitting around a Christmas dinner table with the hashtags, we're living a lie, no more lockdowns. Uh, um, we've got the NDP leader saying that Premier Ford needs to do something about this renegade uh, member of provincial parliament. Charles, what should be done about Randy Hillier? Who cares? Really? Who cares about Randy Hillier? Okay. What an idiot. What an idiot. Yeah. So so emblematic of the kind of ignorant defiance that we've seen on the part of anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers. You know, we, we see a lot of it in the United States within the Republican Party these days, you know, Republican 
uh, congressman from Florida, Matt Gates, posting you know video of an office party he had just a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, no one wearing masks, everyone just packed in, singing karaoke. I mean, it's, it's just blinding stupidity. But it, it goes to one of the more dangerous trends in our politics, which is where our politics become rooted in contempt and rooted in the middle finger being raised as opposed to like legitimate dialogue as to what's really important and what's going to save lives. So Randy Hillier, who cares? Well, I mean, he's an independent MPP. He does not belong to a party. Normally, he would be kicked out of a caucus, as he was last year, out of the Progressive Conservative Caucus. What do you do about a member of provincial parliament, John, who is endangering the lives and health and safety of Ontarians by his uh, completely backward and in- inaccurate statements? Well, there was a reason why he got kicked out of caucus, and he would have been, he would have been kicked out of caucus for doing exactly what he just did now. Um, but I think that hopefully the voters of his riding will, will take note of this. Um, very few independents ever get elected uh, in elections, uh, and I'm hoping that that's the case uh, in, in his riding. Uh, I think it's irresponsible for any political leader, quite frankly, to, to, to showcase and, and to be able to not only show that, that he's bucking the rules and, and the, 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 you know, what, what the government is trying to do to save lives, but also doing it in a way uh, that is basically saying that, you know, for those who believe, you know, they shouldn't be believing in the COVID and it's all a, 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 a fake a fake news and all this kind of stuff. It's just nonsense when it's a global pandemic and it's killing lives. It's irresponsible. I hope the voters of this writing will, will take heed of this and, uh, and um, uh, you know, give them the just, just um, responsibility that they need, which is to get them out of office. Yeah. Karen, final thoughts on Randy Hillier? No, I, you know, I think that, um, you know, to, to the points that have been raised, most rational people know that this is a grandstanding stunt. And uh, to not give it airtime, I think, is our best approach because, you know, he's trying to stir up controversy. And, um, you know, nobody needs to buy into it. It, it. The more that he's put to the sidelines, then I think the better it is for all of us. Well, before I say so long to you folks, uh, Karen and John, um, we're losing one of our panelists today. Charles Bird, um, I, I have a little bit of a lump in my throat because I always enjoy your commentary. I find you entertaining and informing and opinionated, uh, to, uh, but you do have to leave the panel, at least for a time, as a regular contributor. What's happening with you? Well, I'm having to assume some new responsibilities in my, in my job. And unfortunately, and I do mean unfortunately, it's going to mean that I can't participate going forward. And I appreciate the chance to say a quick goodbye to all the fantastic listeners out there and the, the huge number of great questions we've had. Uh, a big shout out to Libby Zneimer, who's just been such a terrific host, all, never afraid to ask the tough questions, um, always asking about that, which is most important to people. Um, Jane, you've been a, a wonderful, wonderful alternate host. But more than anyone, Karen and John, I have just loved working with you folks so much. I wouldn't call you adversaries. I wouldn't call you opponents. I would well and truly call you friends. And don't think for a moment that if I hear something on future broadcasts that I don't like, <laughs> that I won't dial in and let you have it. John, any, any, John, would you like to, uh, you know, say anything to Charles? 
Well, I've I've known Charles for a long time, and and, and I've always admired him. And and you know we're 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 on opposite sides of the political spectrum. We're on the we're on the same side of of goodness. And and uh, and I've, I consider Charles a dear friend, and I wish him well. And I know I know exactly that Charles will call in, and if not, text me <laughs> to say that I said something wrong or or inappropriate or or what have you. So I I just wish Charles well. Uh, we'll miss him on the show, but I know that I'll I'll see and hear him uh, outside of the outside of the radio program um, when things get back to normal. For sure. Karen? Uh, thank you, uh, Jane. I, I actually first met Charles on the panel uh, in the station uh, at uh, Zoom Radio. So it's been a delight, Charles, getting to know you a little bit better. And uh, let me say what I wrote to you in an email. I uh, didn't always agree with you, but I've always learned something from you. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you, Charles. Promise me you'll come on from time to time to offer Absolutely. your opinion. Absolutely. I'll look forward to it. Okay, very good. Thank you all. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks, Jane. Thanks, Jane. Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Toronto's Office of Earnscliffe Strategy Group, John Capabianco, Senior Vice President, Senior Partner Fleischman Hillard High Road, and Karen Stint, CEO of Variety Village. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.